You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we're in Bishagrad. I have a little bit of mixed feeling, of course. Um, but the most important I enjoyed was it was incredible today. So many riders came to me to say what's going on here. This, they expected the Grand Tour, but this was uh, maybe something more here. This was uh, maybe a revolution for cycling and was incredible. I told my uh, friend Eric Fetter from uh, Evlo, if I get one euro for each person who said my name, I can build, a, I can buy the castle next to the start. Really, it was was incredibly, incredibly nice. Where are we, Lionel? And who was that? We're in Visegrad in Hungary, and that was Attila Valter, very much the home hero today. The prodigal son, <laughs> the prodigious <laughs> son, <laughs> one of one of a few cock-ups today, which we'll, we'll, come we'll to get that. on to later. Um, the misnaming of the. Kilometer Zero, which went out this morning, about Attila Valta, the home hero, the prodigious son. Um, but, wow, what a day he had. What a day he had. And has he put a bid in on the castle yet? How many forints will it be, do you think? I don't know, but I, I heard today that Gianni Savio, who we'll also come to later, he won, well, his team won um, 1,800 euros, courtesy of the two riders they had in the break today, Baez and Tagliani and the various primes that they picked up i think 1800 euros be enough to put a bid in on visegrad castle i'm not sure i'm not sure i mean we're here overlooking the hills next to a swimming pool not quite warm enough for a dip in there this afternoon is it daniel i don't think didn't bring our swimming trunks there's a more important a much more significant stretch of water just below the swimming pool there is indeed the danube of course what's longer the danube or the Giro d'italia um well, you don't measure rivers in terms of days. No, well, it's, it's um, <laughs> the Danube. The Danube is 2,700 and something kilometres. The Giro d'Italia is 3,414. Oh, I, I see. Oh, I see. Yes, of course. Well, anyway, you can measure rivers in kilometres as well. Enough waffle. Who yeah. are we with? That's another important question. A very good question. Well, we're with Hans Rugenberg, Dutch journalist chosen specifically for today because we have a Dutchman in the pink jersey Matthew van der Poel won I guess we need to get to the tale of the tapper well we do but um, we should welcome Hans onto the podcast not the first time you've been on the podcast Hans jubilant this evening are you as jubilant as Attila Walter was after his day on home rows talking about it being a revolution today is this a revolution in the in the present future of the Giro d'Italia Matthew van der Poel winning the the pink jersey yeah, well, it was quite a performance from him, of course. So, uh, And he talked about the Giro before, that he likes to race well. And uh, yeah, what he did today, uh, picking up the, the first pink jersey. He couldn't succeed for last year in the Tour de France on the first day. And now he succeeds with all the pressure and everything. Yeah, it's quite an achievement, I think. It is indeed. Well, stage one of the Giro d'Italia from Budapest to Visegrad, 195 kilometres. And they started in Hero Square in the centre of Budapest and they finished at the end of this 5.5 kilometre climb up to Visegrad Castle. I'm calling it the Poggio of the Carpathians. 
uh, because it is just on the inner western Carpathians. Do you remember, Daniel, the Romanian footballer, uh, Georgi Hadji? He was the Maradona the, of the Carpathians. He was. One so, of many great Maradons. There were Maradons of the Tatras. There were Maradonas of the of the Fens, I think. There was an English Maradona of the Fens. Who would that have been? I don't I know, remember. Daniel. Um, that's enough football chat. Uh, but yeah, the Poggio of the Carpathians, it did bear some resemblance to the climb from Milan San Remo, didn't it? It was a fairly formulaic stage, it has to be said. Two riders in the breakaway. Gianni uh, Savio sent two of his drones up. Um, extraordinarily, he called it this morning, didn't he, Daniel, when you spoke to him at the start. Let's hear him explain his formation for stage one of the Giro. The first is uh, two... Uh, bit of uncertainty. Two six. Two six. Two six. Two six. Two are uh, the riders. Um, velocisti. The sprinter. The bombers. Yes, the sprinter. Uh, so um, they they have two possibilities. To enter in the breakaway and uh, to make uh, points for uh, Metabolanti e uh, chilometri in fuga. Eh? E also, also, uh, if they don't enter in the breakaway for the for the finish. And who are they, Gianni? Give give us their names. The name the name is Mattia Bais and uh, and uh, Filippo Filippo Tagliani. Uh, Filippo Tagliani just last year was protagonist and uh, Mattia Baez uh, won uh, the special classment of uh, kilometer in uh, breakaway. Well, I don't know about you, but I think those 1,800 euros that Gianni won today should be spent on a lottery ticket because he can clearly see into the future. Extraordinary clairvoyance there. I mean, to be fair, he is the boss of the team and I suppose he does decide the strategy. They were Filippo Taliani and Mattia Baez. They were 180 kilometres off the front. The lead was 11 minutes at its maximum, but it was brought back in gradually and hung around the four or five minute mark for a long, long time. And it wasn't until 13 and a half kilometres to go that they were caught. There was then a crash at six and a half to go. One of the Hungarian riders, Eric Fetter, was on the floor there. And at this point, Alpacin Fenix looked very well organized in their change strip of a kind of natural green maybe hans can shed some light on this why have they gone for this moss green is there any significance to it we've been kind of busy with other things mainly chasing cabbages over the last couple of days (laughs) but it's it's kind of a cabbage color isn't it Mm. why why have they gone for this color I really, don't, <laughs> I really don't have a clue, actually, why they choose this color. I think they want to uh, do, do it for merchandise, and they choose every, every Grand Tour, they choose another uh, outfit, uh, well, to sell, of course. And, well, this guy who won today, Van der Poel, sells, so probably but why they choose this color i really don't know moss green well the press release said it's a color that summons nature and and you know get, makes everyone feel like there's a you know the, the great outdoors kind of green well, we, we are in the middle of the great outdoors here i mean absolutely beautiful views over the danube it's a bit of an army green though isn't it um slightly army fatigues anyway on the climb three and a half k to go lawrence nelson of ag2r um a 
fairly long effort from Narsen. He was looking good for a while. And then it was Leonard Kemner of Bora Hansgrohe. He went with 2.1 kilometres to go. He did look good, but it was unlikely that he'd stay clear. Then UAE Team Emirates were very prominent at the front with Davide Formolo and Diego Ulisi. And then there was a move from another Bora Hansgrohe rider, Wilco Kelderman. And then we had the much-anticipated sprint finish. Caleb Ewan at this stage was looking very well placed, perhaps too prominent. Shades of Milan San Remo from the Poggio, a couple of the years real ago. Exactly. And, uh, well, it was Biniam Gamay of Intermarche who opened up the sprint and then Matthew van der Poel powered past to win the first Giro stage of his career. Take the time bonus and the pink jersey. Behind them, Ewan went down. Touch of wheels. Didn't really see too much of exactly what happened, um, but he went from looking very well placed to sitting on the deck. So Vanderpool, Gamay, Peo Bilbao in third place, Magnus Court fourth, Kelderman fifth, and ominously the Giro favourite Richard Calapaz in sixth place. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Thank you very much to our title sponsors, Super Sapiens. Daniel, you'll notice the Super Sapiens patch on my right arm. It's been giving me all sorts of data over the last few days, and I've been monitoring some of the results when I've eaten. Proudly displayed on your rippling bicep. Well, I mean, it's pipe cleaner biceps, really, isn't it? I'm no upper body strength whatsoever. Welcome to the gun show. <laughs> But yeah, I've been looking at my uh, blood glucose levels over the last few days, seeing how they go up and they go down, depending on what I eat and when I eat. We had quite a late dinner last night, so that kind of played havoc how with the... How does it react to paprika? Paprika, I don't think registers, but certainly the espresso tonic that we had in the little cafe yesterday, that sent my glucose levels soaring. I guess I got a shot of, you know, a rush of energy. Um, fortunately, I didn't crash. I'm staying in the blue zone, which is where you want to stay when you're not fueling. And uh, we'll be finding out a lot more about this when we hear from Super Sapiens experts over the course of the Giro. Um, I'm basically just a glucose guinea pig, aren't I? If you want to find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. It is, of course, a training aid and a performance aid, um, but it can give you some insights into how you manage your energy over the course of the day. And that will become very important over the next couple of weeks. I mean, you don't want me hangry, do we? We're in hungry, Daniel. You don't want me hangry. It was super hard finish. Yeah, I, I try all my best. I think I never do like this sprint. I think a bit longer. I start almost 250, 300. So I am in the limit. But Van Der Poel is, I think, stronger than me today. Yeah, but I'm really happy. Uh, someone touched your wheel uh, before the sprint. What happened exactly? I don't know. I just uh, uh, leading my sprint. And then I feel somebody hit me behind. I think so, but I, I didn't see. Okay, you didn't win, but are you satisfied with your amazing performance? Yeah, I'm really happy to say thank you. That was Biniam Gomai, second on the stage on his first ever Grand Tour stage, of course. And what a result for him. You get the feeling, Daniel, I don't know whether you agree, that he will have finishes that suit him a bit better than today's, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. I mean, so much was made, rightly so, of him winning Gent, Vavog, and what it signified, you know, the first black African rider to win a major classic. 
today would have been hugely symbolic for him to take the pink jersey at the Giro because of the um, colonial history of Eritrea. I mean, as most people know, I think, have learned by now. Well, one of the reasons that cycling is such a big sport in Eritrea is to do with the colonial history and um, Italy sort of started its process of colonizing what's now Eritrea in the 1860s and that was sort of concluded in I think 1890 they took full control and then Eritrea was part of Italy what it was known as um, Italian Eritrea up until 1941 so the middle of the war and you know over the last few years there's been a bit of a reckoning in Italy about the colonial um, past well the, the colonizing um, past of Italy and, and you know some of the darker aspects of that there was a, a very famous writer and journalist Indro Montanelli in Italy he's a kind of national treasure in Italy had been for years um, but a, a, a sort of an old interview he'd done was, was sort of re-examined um, a few years ago where he talked about buying the, the, the 12-year-old girl who eventually came, became his Eritrean wife and you know in the last couple of years there have been statues of Montanelli defaced in in Italy and this is a process that's that's very much um, ongoing so you know you can imagine against that backdrop uh, an Eritrean rider taking the pink jersey in the Giro would have been absolutely huge I mean I don't know what chance Gamay still has over the next few days I think that Van der Poel I mean we saw last year at the Tour de France he did a really good time trial to defend the yellow jersey then I expect him to do a really good time trial tomorrow particularly with that uphill finish so Gamay's chance unfortunately may have gone I was going to ask you Hans about Van der Poel because in the Tour de France when he turned up and everyone knew he was only going to do the first part of the race because he had his eyes on the Olympics there was a few grumbles from other teams and other riders that he came into that race so hot ripped it up put everybody on the back foot, made it very hard, perhaps harder even than the opening week of the Tour de France would normally be, fully in the knowledge that he was only there for a, a week or so. What's his objective in this Giro d'Italia? Is he, has he got his eyes on the whole three weeks? Well, I spoke to him about that and also uh, with, with Philippe Rotov, this uh, sports director, and, and they both say he wants to end this finish because it's also a challenge to end the Grand Tour. Last year, of course, like you said, he, he didn't finish the Tour de France. Uh, so that's a challenge for him as well to, to do a Grand Tour because it's only he's a big man in, in cycling already, but it's only his second Grand Tour already that, that he's uh, riding now. So um, I think it's a, it's a big challenge for him. But it's going to be difficult in the last week with all the mountains and you know how bad that is for for your back climbing so probably that's going to be a challenge as well for him but uh, like i said uh, i heard them both say um, yeah we want to finish this grand tour and also the tour de france he wants to finish what hans do you sense is his emotional connection with this race because at the at the tour last year it was very noticeable how he sort of came in almost a little bit nonplussed. He wasn't going to get caught up in the whole, you know, tour fever that, that people do get caught up in. And people have grown up sort of dreaming of being a road professional, a subject to, you know, he's obviously had a different, a different route into road cycling. But then it was very clear over the course of the first week last year, he was just falling in love with the Tour de France. What's his position regarding the Giro and what's his sort of emotional bearing regarding the Giro? Yeah, he says he loves his country, but I'm not, I'm not sure uh, what's going in his mind or heart. This uh, country, Hungary or yeah, Italy? Yeah, this <laughs> yeah, he loves Hungary, of course. No, he loves Italy. Uh, that's, that's what he says. But 
there are some other things, of course, because I spoke to Paolo Bellino, the, the CEO of the RCS, the, the organization who uh, organizes the Giro, of course. And they want they wanted it him already for years to start in the Giro. So that's also a thing, uh, of course, that 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 it was in his mind and in the mind of the of the team to get him into the Giro. And of course, this first three days taking this uh, uh, outfit to uh, Italy is also in his mind, of course. So I don't I don't know what really the connection is with Italy, but those aspects, the the uh, organization that wanted him, and also the, this three days that he might keep the, the pink jersey uh, those are things for him are important of course uh, one thing that certainly stood out about van der Poel this year um, to me has been an increased maturity an increased sort of race craft and, and the team I think has been a big part of that and we saw them today there was one stage where I was a, a little bit worried that he wasn't going to be in the right position when we came into the final climb but then they sort of well, they timed their move perfectly. They all massed at the front as we came into that right-hand corner um, before the final climb. And, yeah, you couldn't really fault his positioning, I don't think, on, on the climb. And also the, the decision-making as well. He didn't attack, you know, halfway up the climb, which I, I suspected he might want to do. You know, he might want to put on a bigger show than, than just winning the stage and taking the, the pink jersey. But he really played it perfectly. In fact... I spoke to his teammate Dries de Bont about precisely this at the finish, um, how they'd managed that finale and what was the plan. Yeah, we knew uh, we, we shouldn't be too early in the front in the last 10k because it costs really a lot of energy. So we were actually sticking to the left side behind the nails and, uh, and back exchange because we knew they were going to try to be in front in the right turn. And then we waited and waited and... Uh, at 1k before the right turn, there was an opening on the left. And then we didn't hesitate anymore and we got through uh, to the first hairpin in the lead. And then it was out of trouble, I think. And uh, yeah, we had still two guys to, to maintain the good situation. And uh, Mathieu, when he can choose his own moment in a, in a finish like this, he's uh, practically unbeatable, I think. And uh, he also talked to us during the race that he felt really, really good. And that gave us a lot of confidence to, to give everything we had to to launch him to this little ramp to take the pinker. Therese, we, we wondered whether he might try to attack, I don't know, halfway up the climb, but was that always the plan to wait as long as he could? Yeah, yeah, because it's not really steep. Eh? Here you have a little bit uh, advantage with the draft. So if you go too early and, uh, and there are some teammates from other guys left, you f*** yourself and uh, you have to wait as long as you can and then choose the, the right moment. Uh, and I think, yeah, he knows better than everyone else where, what that moment is. There aren't a lot of opportunities for a guy like, uh, for a classic rider to take the, the pink jersey or the yellow jersey or, or the red jersey in the Grand Tour. So uh, if they gave you an opportunity like this, you have to take it. And uh, yeah, that was the main goal of this Giro and we already take it. So it pressures off and uh, ready for more. I mean, I thought it was textbook coming into the bottom of the climb. They were all on the left-hand side of the road in a line. Van der Poel was in the right position. When the helicopter shot showed us a much closer to the finish, we were, where is he, where is he? But he was just tucked in right uh, on Gamay's wheel. Um, perfect positioning, timed it well at the finish. But, I mean, Hans, when you look at his season this year, um, 
he turned up at Milan San Remo really completely out of the blue. I mean, he was like a superhero kind of, you know, changing from his day clothes into his uh, superhero cape, changing wasn't he? Changing from moss green into pink. <laughs> In, indeed. And, and then on the podium at Milan San Remo, you know, first race of the season he's done 11 days of racing this year and if you take out the kind of you know run-of-the-mill stages at the Coppi Ibartoli stage race his worst result is ninth at Paris-Roubaix I mean it's extraordinary but you mentioned his back there is that something that's still troubling him well he says no and his sports director says no but but I um, earlier this year he said it's it's probably going to be a problem for always uh, it's going to come back sometimes uh, probably when he's exhausted or anything, then, then maybe it's going to be a problem uh, again. But now they have it under control, they say. But but uh, probably for the rest of his life, he's going to uh, have have some uh, uh, days off or weeks off uh, because uh, it starts to irritate again. That's what I think. And that's what uh, he says as well, that it's always going to be an issue, uh, sort of. This, of course, is the legacy of the crash in the Olympic mountain bike race. It was a spectacular um, crash wasn't it um, but I mean he has got this capacity to just turn up get incredible results and um, I mean it will be really interesting to see how how long he stays up there I suppose the first real test I mean taking out of the um, the, the, the situation tomorrow with the, with the time trial I mean I think given the course he's got a very good chance of, of staying in pink or staying very close to the top of the standings what will be interesting will be to see how motivated he is to ride at the front and ride like a sort of GC rider on Mount Etna am I on right Tuesday thinking, am I right in thinking that he spent quite a bit of time near Etna and I, I think I heard him or I read about him having spent some time in that area and having become quite fond of that area that's what I heard as well, but I'm I'm not quite sure because he never spoke openly about about that. But but that's that's what I heard as well because yeah, that's also a connection to Italy, uh, uh, maybe that he has. But um, uh, maybe he did did some training camp. But but sometimes they're, they're quite mysterious about what he does and what what he doesn't. So um, it's always uh, guessing. Uh, um, but but. Uh, like Lionel said, uh, uh, is he going to stay up front in the Vietna? Uh It's a climb of 22 kilometers, I think. Uh, it's going to be difficult for him, of course, to uh, to stay up there. But you know, this guy is he's always uh, in for a surprise so uh, uh, we shall see well that's quite it I mean we just don't know will he just let it go when the climb starts to bite or will he try and hang in for as long as possible fascinating talking about hanging in there and surprises I think it would have surprised a few people certainly based on what everyone had said before the stage today had Caleb Ewan managed to pull off that win but you said in the tail of the tapper line or that it was shades of Milan San Remo last year and we talked about that a lot didn't we afterwards we've talked about it in the last few weeks and months that um, he'd shown too much of his hand in Milan San Remo in 2021 he'd, he'd been at the front too early because he you know he, he's very good he's very adept at following wheels on these kind of steady climbs these sort of three four kilometer climbs and he never really looked in trouble did he today but then there was a certain point um, a few hundred meters from the finish, where he found himself literally in the on the arrowhead. Um, he was the the first rider in the peloton. I don't know whether I know Ro uh, Roger Kluger crashed before the final climb. I don't know whether that had something to do with it, but he was exposed. And you know, to to connect that to the crash that subsequently occurred is is maybe a bit of a stretch, but it could also have contributed because he was 
Um, he was sort of swamped um, yeah. when the crash did happen. I wondered whether was he trying to get himself off the front again, just for those crucial, you know, fifty or sixty meters, and then and come again. It was it was difficult to tell because obviously it was on that corner, wasn't it? Um, it's funny. Our colleague Andy Hood from Velo News said, as uh, well, he we owe him uh, a, a beer because he drove us up to the top where he drove me up to the top here um, from Budapest and he said that he spoke to Thomas de Gent this morning in uh, Budapest, Lotto Sudar teammate of course and de Gent said that they didn't feel that this was a climb for Ewan or a finish for Ewan and as we drove up I thought no, this is shallow enough um, and it's going to be fast enough that um, sprinters like Ewan Gamai will definitely be in the mix um, yeah, it's it's a, a fascinating one. We 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 can't know how he would have done, and, and and you know exactly how did that crash happen? It looks like, um, as you say, he was swamped, and uh, suddenly he was on the deck. Shoot, uh, shoot at the du peloton, cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by NordVPN. Now, we're surfing the internet here in Hungary, Daniel, and later on in Italy. I've got my VPN switched on just to keep my data safe from prying eyes. And, uh, well, I find it very reassuring. I had to pay a bill on my online banking earlier this afternoon. And I did so knowing that my internet connection was protected by NordVPN's virtual private network, isn't it? It's basically a sort of corridor of protection for all of your online data. If you're surfing the internet at home or abroad, you can use Use it um, on your laptop, your phone, tablets. You can even protect your smart TV. So if you want to get a huge discount on NordVPN, go to nordvpn.com slash TCP or use the code TCP to get your discount plus an additional month free. I think it's on a two-year subscription. And if you find it's not for you, it's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. We'll put all the details in the show notes. Now, as we arrived at the start quite early in Budapest in Hero Square, we were slightly underwhelmed by the crowds. But as the start of the race approached, suddenly it swelled, didn't it, tremendously? I mean, the the crowds on that straight road leading out of town were significant. Um, It really did feel like the Giro had suddenly burst into life. What did you make of it, Hans? Yeah, well, I agree with Lionel. It it, it was fantastic, all the people. When we were in Budapest, like you said, uh, I couldn't really say there was a Giro to start uh, uh, over there, but uh, today was uh, massive. I think there were thousands and thousands of people uh, along the road, uh, and uh, they're all cheering the, the, the riders. It must be fantastic to be on the bike today. And there were lots of people cycling up here as well to Visegrad. We um, passed loads of cyclists on the way. Which group Palmer jerseys? There were a few. I think there was yeah. at least well, one or two, definitely. Well, we heard in our kilometre zero, didn't we, about how well... Tillavalter's exploits in the Giro last year really galvanized interest not just for cycling but that particular team and you went to the Ferenc Varos game at the Group Armour Arena I don't know if you noticed Lionel in the park I know you went running in the park yesterday as well I went running this morning the park adjacent to Hero Square and was overlooked by the Group Armour I guess the Hungarian headquarters so effectively the start was overlooked by the Group Armour headquarters Ah interesting well, Attila Valta, I mean, he got the biggest cheers this morning, didn't he, at the start. Uh, they called the three Hungarian riders to be at the front of the peloton before the rollout towards kilometre zero. And he's obviously um, enjoyed his day, I think, Attila Valta. Of course, I wanted to have a, a better finish, but I was next to a crash. 
in halfway up the climb I, I wasted a lot of energy to, to come back um, I didn't have such a bad position I was next to Alejandro Valverde but yeah things happens then I, I, I still passed a lot of riders in the end but I you know when you see that you are not in a for example a top 10 you lose 100 watts so I did my best but uh, that was it I think it's a really good start uh, compared to last year I was uh, 105 I think in uh, Torino in the TT so uh, normally I don't feel super good in the first days but I was feeling strong today so it's a good uh, good sign I was uh, I was staying safe it's also really important I I, I saw that uh, everybody is really strong here and uh, it's, I don't have too much chance for a, for a good result so I, I wanted to stay uh, the rubber side down of course to, to have more chances in Italy Was it hard to stay in control of your emotions Attila? Yeah it was really hard I was uh, feeling like I'm dreaming but not uh, the first 50k was like dreaming the, the second 100 was like sleeping I didn't know if it was real or what's going on I had really like when you lose the blood pressure I had all the time so I was thinking like oh it's not super uh, easy to do 29 I heard so it's not super good it's uh, it's okay for a start okay get ready for tomorrow because it will be even louder tomorrow I think yeah 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 Daniel you mentioned our kilometer zero boo-boo this morning uh, when we what are the other cock-ups well, well, one of the cock-ups was that you didn't think we were finishing here Oh, the, that, that was last night. Yeah, I thought we were finishing in Budapest. Suddenly had a brain freeze there. Um, we're in Budapest tomorrow, aren't we, for the time trial? The, the, we called the Kilometer Zero episode, or, or rather, Daniel, you called the Kilometer Zero episode the Prodigal Son. And everyone nodded silently, well, obediently, I, I, I mean, obsequiously. Unfortunately, biblical references are not my strong suit. Uh, we changed the title uh, out of respect for Attila Valter, the Prodigious Son. Uh, because that's kind of what we were getting at, weren't we? There's a lot of expectation on Valter's shoulders, isn't there, after the last uh, couple of years here at the Giro, having the pink jersey, of course, for three days last year and a good overall finish, and a sense that this is his moment. Um, but the other thing from that episode of Kilometre Zero is this this stuffed cabbage, this delicacy, this speciality. I think it should be a new... I think it's the next Indiana Jones film. <laughs> The quest for the stuffed cabbage. Daniel Freiber and the quest for the stuffed cabbage. I'm starting to think it's fictional, this cabbage. I mean, have you heard of the stuffed cabbage? No, no. <laughs> the mythical. I, I, I heard it now, but Freebie has something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of food and Hungarians, um, there is uh, a rider in this Giro. So you mentioned the three Hungarians at the Giro. I spoke to two of them this morning. I spoke to Barnabas Payak as well. Um, who's riding for Antel Marche and Eric Fetter is riding for Aeolo Cometa Fetter could he possibly be named after the cheese um, <laughs> different spelling isn't it well, I also spoke to him about food delicacies and of course the stuffed cabbage this is language is maybe the main dish it's society and with cheese and these things I really really like it and Magyar Rakash is a sweet thing which my grandmother makes the best, so I'm re- I really looking forward to arrive home and eat these things. One more thing on the food. Attila Valta has been telling me for years that the best dish here is turtot kaposkar, no? Turtot kaposkar, but yeah, yeah, it's not bad, but for me, not, not my favorite. Maybe for him, yeah, it's turtot kaposkar the best, but yeah, for me, 
language and uh, yeah, Maki Rakashi is the best. We're running out of time to find this stuffed cabbage. We've got tonight, tomorrow night and uh, Sunday night, haven't we? So we really are going to have to keep our eyes open for this stuffed cabbage. It sounds delicious to me. Um, but like I say, it's just not... Is it one of those things that is so traditional it's fallen out of favour? Perhaps it's unfashionable. I don't know. I don't know. Now that Alpacin Phoenix have, have got a jersey that mimics the colour of the stuffed cabbage, maybe it'll come <laughs> back into fashion. I don't know. Um, Lionel, just before we move on, um, we mentioned Visegrad and you haven't forgotten that we finished here today. Um, do you, we, we, have we spoken about the significance of the Visegrad group? Um, the, and what is the Visegrad group? I think we did a few months ago. So it's a kind of alliance between these four European or well, Eastern European um, countries, Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland and Slovakia. And, and there was a, a, a meeting, a, a summit between these four countries in 1991. And since then, this was pointed out to me, I was reminded of this by an Italian colleague today. And um, since then, these countries have been pretty closely aligned in military terms, economic terms. And um, that's been an, an unbroken agreement arrangement. But in recent weeks, it started to fracture a little bit because of their various positions on the conflict in on the Russian invasion of Ukraine because Hungary has been sort of conspicuous by its, well, its silence or sort of tacit support of Russia. Interesting. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Corrections Corner. It's becoming sort of Corrections cul-de-sac, isn't it? I can't remember what the other error we've made today is, but uh, something probably not having a hire car is one because we're at the mercy of uh, other people. We're only keeping hands here this long because he's our lift back down to Budapest. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> While I remember further link to the Russian question um, again same Italian colleague Leonardo from the official Giro podcast he pulled off an absolute master stroke um, today by inviting Jacopo Mosca of Trek Segafredo into the mix zone purely purely so that he could say to his listeners I've spoken to Mosca and the Italian word for Moscow is Mosca ah. so he wanted to be able to tell his listeners I've spoken to Moscow today. Wow. And, and an official Giro podcast. Whatever next? Whatever next? Now, we mentioned uh, Alpacin Fenix and their change strip for this Giro. They're not the only team riding in unfamiliar colours because EF Education Easy Post have had to switch from their usual pink jersey because there's a rule, UCI rule, that you can't have a trade team jersey that clashes with the leader's jersey of a Grand Tour. So they've switched from uh, their pink to a very dark green, almost black, uh, with a sort of mosaic pattern on it i think it's quite attractive that jersey i have to say um and their man magnus court the danish rider who pulled off a couple of absolutely sensational wins at the vuelta last year uh he was fourth on the stage and at the finish i had a quick chat with him because i'd heard that over the winter he and his family had climbed kilimanjaro now up here at visegrad is only 338 meters kilimanjaro a tad higher than that six and a half thousand meters i think i can't wait to hear this interview and how you segued from fourth place at visegrad to uh, tell, tell me about climbing kilimanjaro well i didn't segue at all i just hit him with it let's hear shall we yeah it was also with uh, with a lot of, of lactate of course uh, uh before the sprint uh i got a good wheel on and killed them and they went for kind of an attack long way out and uh, when, when I could feel he was losing a little bit of speed I thought now is 
it's a moment to go, but uh, I think I I could push push hard for for about 50 meters, and uh, and uh, and then uh, I was completely exploded, and yeah, could only watch the other riders go around me. Yeah, I mean you won on a sort of similar-ish climb in Spain there, but that was a lot longer, a lot harder, I guess, than this one. Yeah, to finish there. In the Vuelta. Yeah, in the Vuelta, yeah. Yeah, it was quite different now because there I came from from a breakaway with a yeah the peloton chasing closely behind and uh, there was all about now pacing it my own pace up where here it's yeah sitting in the bunch fighting for the wheel and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's very difficult to to not spend too much energy and at the same time not yeah sit too far behind and I had a few times where I had to to touch the brakes and then uh, when I finish like that it's that's really expensive because that's every time you touch the brake it's maybe one or two seconds you have to accelerate and get back and uh, but I'm sure for for the other guys it's more or less the same but it can make a big difference if you have the really perfect smooth run but but that's almost impossible because you have corners left and right and every time you're on on the inside you yeah they, it will slow down you climb Kilimanjaro in the off season is that right this is a little bit lower down a little bit easier maybe yeah, it is, but uh, I would say when, when I blew up 100 meters to go, it, it felt a bit like being uh, 6,000 meters up without any any oxygen in, in the body. What made you want to climb Kilimanjaro? Oh, it's uh, it was a trip I did with my whole family, mom and dad and brother and sister, and we had talked about it for, for many years. We all, whole family likes to be out in nature, and, uh, and there was a good... Uh, yeah, a really nice thing we could do all together, and and we all really uh, enjoyed it, and we had an amazing, uh, amazing trip. Did you get to like 2,200 meters and think, "Wow, this is this is feeling pretty high now"? Yeah, I know from from cycling. Now we're talking about 2,000 meters. That's like kind of high altitude now, and and you definitely also feel it on the bike. But uh, I say when when you're walking and and you're in 4,000, that's something different. And and the top is it's nearly 6,000 meters there. You have to walk really really slow do everything very very slow that's completely different from what we call uh, altitude and, and cycling i was going to ask i mean is there a training benefit from having been up that high and, and made that big effort <clears throat> i'm not uh, so sure but of course it's, it's like an altitude block now uh, and but I, I spend already a lot of time in, in altitude not not that high but but in the uh, soldeo in andorra where i live uh, so uh I, I do get a lot of, of days at, at the altitude. And how long did it take you to do the climb? Uh, we did it in, uh, in seven days up and down. It was long, one of the, the longer routes, but also the success rate is really uh, high when, when you use have a few extra days uh, to acclimatize to, to the altitude. And, and luckily the whole family and, and actually everybody from, from that uh, group we were with uh, made it. So, so that also made the made the trip of course a lot more fun that everybody made it now and could be happy excellent it will make the Motorola seem easy (laughs) (laughs) yeah but then we just race a bit harder (laughs) the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport Science and Sport fueled by science thank you very much to Science and Sport our long term partners they came on board for the 2016 Giro d'Italia 
Daniel, if you remember, which started in the Netherlands, didn't it, in Appledorn? And, well, we wouldn't have been able to cover the Giro with daily episodes had it not been for Science and Sports backing. Um, they're to blame, I guess, or, or they're responsible, sorry, or they're to thank for our continued daily coverage of the Giro. This is our eighth Giro d'Italia, if you count our Giro, which was our virtual romp round, virtual Italy during lockdown. Science and Sport always offer all of our listeners 25% off everything at scienceandsport.com it's not available in conjunction with any other discounts that Science and Sport are doing but um, if you just fill your basket with uh, energy drinks and bars and powders and, and, and all the other goodies uh, you can get 25% off with the code Daniel I can't remember I can't remember SIS on this occasion I can't remember it is SISCP25 we'll put it in the show notes as ever um, check out the beta fuel because uh, if you want to consume a lot of carbohydrate for you know, a long ride, maybe a sportive, you can take on board that carbohydrate in drink form uh, without having to kind of feel bloated eating lots of food. So yes, scienceinsport.com and the code SISCP25. I just remembered, Lionel, something I meant to say when we were talking about Attila Valter. Did I tell you that he asked, asked called me yesterday, but dialed me while he was out on a training ride? Did I tell you this? <laughs> you, well, you did mention it. I, did, I don't think you used the I phrase ask called. I got but a fairly unfortunate vantage point, live coverage of the Group Arm FDJ um, group ride yesterday morning for about 30 seconds. Did you gain any intel from this? Or Not really. No. no. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. The Dutchies, Hans. A lot of Dutchies here, a lot of Dutch press here, not least for Van der Poel, but also Tom Dumoulin, um, Wilco Kelderman. How did they all get on today? I, I noticed some things that well, I was kind of curious about. Aaron's a man losing a bit of time. But you, you, I think you're going to tell us that he's not going for GC. Dumoulin a little bit as well, but tell us well, your assessment of their ride today. Our Arnold's man is going uh, uh, to, to back up uh, uh, Bardet. He's only going to work for him and... Uh, uh, well, Tom Dumoulin had, had a discussion. Uh, I didn't know you saw it with with Van der Poel in the back of the of the group, and uh, then uh, Dumoulin told Van der Poel, uh, "Yeah, if you're gonna win today, I'm gonna win tomorrow and take the pink jersey." And uh, so Van der Poel said uh, uh, in the press conference, "I did my uh, job today, so now it's on him." So it's nice, and and Dumoulin is going for the GC, of course. He's going to try. Um, I heard on the grapevine last week that he wasn't going that well. But I know in his press conference yesterday he contradicted that. He said the last two weeks have been good. We'll see. Yeah, uh, and he has to see because, well, today it's an explosive uh, final, of course. So it's I'm not really surprised that he lost four seconds. I'm surprised that Wil- Wilco Kelderman was in the front because he told he had a little, uh, he had a lot of bruises still and and hurt from the from the big crash in uh, Liège. So um, he's a bit of a surprise for me that he's in the front. But he's fast, though, isn't he? He's yeah. explosive. Yeah, he is. He's explosive. But if if you're bruised, then yeah, you're gonna have problems on this climb. So, um, well, both both are in the front, and I, and we'll have to see in four days what Dumoulin is capable of on the on the Etna. Uh, then we're gonna see if he's gonna uh, stay with the, with 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 the uh, with the main group. Um, and well, tomorrow with the time trial, if he succeeds, it's it's gonna be interesting because. Um, in 16, 17, and 18, he had the yellow jersey, and he won a stage in the uh, in the Giro. So it, it it would be the fourth time that he that he uh, would succeed uh, in that. So 
that that would be quite an achievement as well. The yellow jersey in Italy is of is of course the pink. Yellow jersey, huh? yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's pink. I think, yeah, yeah, definitely pink, or maybe it should be cabbage green after <laughs> after this. No, I thought it was interesting. I mean, Peo Bilbao was third on the stage. I mean, he's part of the Bahrain victorious tandem with Mikel Lander, and there was a kind of a split between the sort of GC riders. Carapaz was ahead of the split, Kelderman ahead of the split, Bilbao ahead of the split, but then everybody else was really stacked up all together. Bardet, Lander, Yates, De Moulin, Val. Verde, Ciccone, Hindley, Valter, Superman, all finished together. Superman was a little bit further down, wasn't he, behind Hugh Carthy, um, but they were all in that group, and then another little split, giving a 12-second gap, and Guillaume Martin was behind that, I think, so already, it's just a little shake-up, and of course, with the time trial tomorrow, I don't know how you, I mean, I said before the race, I quite like this, that there's a road stage first, there's a few time gaps, and tomorrow's time trial will be interesting, there'll be sort of a you know, not everyone's starting from zero, are they? We, There's we, already we, some little gaps here and there. We thought, we thought, we suggested that this might be some ingenious strategic planning by RCS and Maroveni and the route organisers. We've subsequently learned over the last couple of days, or some of the locals have told us that it had more to do with the the mayor or the town council not wanting the Giro to interfere with or to, to get caught up in the rush hour traffic, basically <laughs> on Friday night. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there we are. Well, Daniel, it's been good to be back at the Giro. This is my first time at the Giro since 2019. And, of course, it's our first Grand Tour without Richard Moore, who I'm sure everybody knows passed away at the end of March. And, of course, it's been a difficult few weeks for us, hasn't it? Um, But we are determined to uh, embrace the Spirito di Buffalo during this Giro d'Italia and not let Richard's huge legacy with the cycling podcast be forgotten and daniel you've created i mean i don't know quite how you managed to do this because you've been through the archives and selected some some clips um that just reflect richard's contribution to our duo coverage over the years yes richard's voice is going to accompany us he's going to be with us all the way to verona and yeah there'll be some some Great memories um, that we'll we'll hear every day. It'll be hard listening, I'm sure. Um, it was hard listening for me, and it has been for you, Lionel. But we're going to kick off today with another stage one. It was stage one in 2017, and this was the three of us together after a surprise winner of the first pink jersey in Sardinia. Il Giro del Buffalo. Remembering Richard Moore. Ferrari che sta pilotando Modolo all'inseguimento dell'uomo del film Bola che è rimasto davanti. Attenzione, siamo allo sprint conclusivo e l'uomo della Bola. Hello, my name is Richard Moore with Daniel Freep. Hello, Rich. Hello, Bernie. Ciao, Lionel. Lionel. Hang on a sec. Sorry. Lionel. I'm busy, Rich. I'm busy. Come on. Oh, my God. He's had his nose in that album all day. (laughs) I've got my Panini sticker album from the Giro, and I have not faked this because it's impossible to know what stickers are in the envelopes. First packet, 
first rider, Lucas Perstelberger. No. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually it saw him sneak a little peek and, and look like the cat that got the cream. And he and there is stage winner. We were played in there by his direct sportif at Bora Hansgrohe. He said Lucas, you weren't a lucky man. Like Lucas Perstelberger, the winner, the surprise winner. Well, I say surprise. I mean, you might remember, chaps, I tipped him in the car as we were driving over to finish an Albio today. I don't remember guy, that. guy we were discussing earlier. Nobody else talking about Purcellberger. We talked about that, that last kilometre. We said this uh, is perfect for Purcellberger. This has got Purcellberger written all over it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you two might have been nodding off at the time in Italy, but I definitely tipped him as a, as a candidate for today's stage. I just thought it definitely, definitely was going to fault him. But it was a surprise win for everybody else. It was. Who's not been paying attention to cycling. I think, Napalm, you were but, at the CCC... The, no, the it's Polish team's bus weren't more there. credit for this. No, they were quite surprised, weren't they? Weren't they sort of almost in hysterics? Though? Well, they they found it very amusing. That was uh, Marcin Bialablocki's teammates, um, and they all got back to the finish there and asking each other who won. And when somebody said it was Postelberger, they were basically yeah, they were in hysterics, not quite sure why. Postelberger, a carpenter, we learned in the in the press conference there. But um, Lionel, it wasn't a hugely eventful stage today. Day, day one of the Giro d'Italia. I don't know if I've mentioned that, but we're at the Giro d'Italia and we're on Sardinia. And can you give us a brief tale of the etapa? I can, but first, I mean, I think these stickers are going to be like tea leaves. Oh, because Thibaut Pino. Thibaut Pino was also in the first packet Friend open. The so I'm going to stick 50 euros on him to win the Giro now, just on the basis of that. Steve Morabito, Steve Morabito, I see you've got there as well. Steve Morabito, of course, uh, a domestique um, deluxe of Thibaut Pino. The, the Morabitos are one of the nastiest mafia families in the south of Italy. They are probably the worst of all mafia families. Or the Indra, uh, the Andrangheta from Calabria, where we're going on Monday. So Let's hopefully Steve's family are not well, out in force. But Steve, I don't think they're related. I don't to think Steve. they're related, but Steve it's, quite, it's quite a common name in that part of Italy. Yeah, not like Steve. No, strange. Well, anyway, there we are. Tail of the, the tapa, please. You mean I, should I put my sticker album away until for tomorrow? The for the maybe. moment. Okay. Yeah. So the opening stage of the. Well, that was Richard indulging me and my idiotic idea of trying to complete the Panini sticker album during that Giro, which I didn't manage to succeed doing, even though I spent probably a couple of hundred euros of the podcast's hard-earned money on buying stickers. More talk of predicting the future. Alas, the Panini stickers weren't as effective as Gianni Savio, were they? They certainly weren't, were they? Um, But one of Richard's other legacies was introducing the Rider Diaries to our coverage, and this was something that, an idea that he came up with a few years ago when we were working out how to cover the Vuelta a España, and one of our first diarists was James Knox. And then during the lockdown Tour de France, this really came into its own because us journalists were kind of locked out of the mix zones we really couldn't talk to the riders face to face very easily at all we certainly couldn't uh, wander around the team buses as we'd been used to doing in the past and so this seed that Richard had planted a couple of years earlier really uh, bore fruit during that Tour de France and one of our diarists that year was Pavel Sivakov who is riding this Giro for Ineos Grenadiers and he has talked about how the process of keeping the audio diary has helped him. Hey guys, Pavel uh, here. Here we are, uh, less than 24 hours before the Grande Partenza in, uh, in Budapest. Uh, 
so yeah, really excited. Um, another another Grand Tour for me, uh, and another Grand Tour with a cycling podcast. Um, always enjoyed sharing my little little audio diaries um, with you guys. Uh, yeah, I think it's is a good way to take a little step back in the evening. You know, I usually do it in the evening after a stage in my room. Take a little step back and reflect on my day. Uh, maybe I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't maybe do it, um, you know, without that that diary. Uh, so I think it's, it's something really useful, even even for me in terms of maybe mental, I don't know, preparation or you know, trying to to be more calm, looking back at things, analyzing a little bit. Um, so yeah. Um, and also, obviously, sharing with you the insights of of the race, the insights of yeah, of my race, of the race of the team, how I'm feeling, what 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 were what, what went wrong or what went really good. Uh, yeah, sharing the ups, I'll be be sharing the ups and downs, you know, that I will experience, and I think um, I think it's pretty cool. So yeah. Um, as I said, uh, less than than day to the start. Um, surprisingly, surprisingly pretty calm this time. Usually, I always like have a, I wouldn't say super stressed. Like over the years, I was less and less stressed um, starting starting um, a ground war. But this one, yeah, pretty calm. I would say. And we have also asked James Knox of Quickstep Alpha Vinyl because he's kept a diary at a couple of Grand Tours for us in the past and his, well, his... Um, his rawness. His rawness, yeah, it is. I mean, it really does take you to the heart of the peloton and you, you hear his reaction it to the stage. It takes you to some very dark places. Occasionally it does, yeah. And he's coming into this Giro, I think, um, a little bit underbaked, isn't he? I mean, it's not been the easiest start of the season for him. Um, but this is James Knox, who will be sending us his dispatches from the team bus and team hotel throughout this Giro. Now then, everyone, hope we're all good. Going to start by taking a moment to commemorate the late, great Richard Moore. Um, you know. All his friends and family um, passing on my regards. I know it's been a little while now, but um, not really one to say say much. But yeah, I was pretty shocked and saddened when I saw the news. And yeah, he's the main reason why I started this in the first place. So I feel a little bit uh, sentimental here again, doing the audio diaries for the cycling podcast. Um, yeah, um, don't really know what to say, to be honest. But, um here in Budapest, ahead of the first three days of the Giro d'Italia, um, starting in Hungary. Had a good look at the, the first road stage yesterday. Interesting. 5k. Sort of climb, not too hard a climb, but uh, yeah, to the finish. Uh, seems quite set up for a proper puncher, a van der Poel, or the likes, Magnus Court, Joao Maida. Maybe Binium Gumai, someone of the sort like that. I'll have to see how those boys go. And uh, regarding myself, yeah, it's been a topsy-turvy road to get here. I had some uh, knee injuries to start the season. Lost uh, six weeks from the start of January. I was firmly on the back foot. Uh, and it was never really the plan here at the Giro. But um, I think as most people have seen in the, the news and media, we've had some different problems with illnesses and whatnot in the team. 
and I got a very late call up Sunday morning whilst I was in Romandy um, and riding quite well to come here. So I am very happy to be here. Um, but I guess maybe my goals and ambitions are a little bit different from previous years. Maybe not riding. Oh, sorry. Arriving at 100%. Maybe I've got a few little excuses in my back pocket, which is always nice. Um, and see how the race develops. A name for breakaways and stage wins, really. I don't think I've got any GC ambitions. I don't think that would be... Yeah, I don't think that'll happen. Um, but we have a strong team for Cav. I'm actually rooming with Cav. He's not here right now, but I'm in the room. So I think the big goals of the team, most importantly, is to get some stage wins with him. Um, obviously, I can't do a lot regarding the sprint train, this and that. So I'll be just there for morale, you know, getting the boys a few extra bottles, asking if they need everything, sniffing around. Um, I did actually come to Budapest two, three months ago on a wee little wee little holiday. Um when I was off ride, when I couldn't ride, when I couldn't do anything uh, with this knee injury. Um, doctors gave me the option of getting in the pool every day and I do not like swimming. So I skipped on that and had a little five day little trip, came to Budapest, had a couple of days there, took the train to Bratislava, had a day there and then finished off with a couple of days in Vienna. So cheap flights, cheap trains. Yeah, a little uh, swan round. Um, taking off a few places I'd not been. Uh, did race in Hungary. A few years ago, well, quite a lot, not quite a bit ago, 2016 with Team Wiggins, I was here in Hungary for an under-23 race. So I'm one of the few people who has actually raced in Hungary before. And that's about it, really. I think that'll uh, that'll get me going for number one. Audio diary number one. Onwards and upwards from here. Goulash tonight, and then see how we go. That's two of the diaries down line or introduced at least we have a third diarist this year it's the Bora Hansgrohe rider Bent Zvihoff the former mountain biker who rode his first Grand Tour at the Vuelta last year very interesting exuberant character very promising rider and we'll be hearing from Ben for the first time I suppose tomorrow well that's probably just about it from our first stage of the 2022 time to resume the quest the quest for the cabbage we need to get back to budapest and uh, do a bit of googling find the cabbage just a couple of important bits of business though before we go because stacy snyder's cups go on sale tomorrow that's saturday at 10 a.m u.s east coast time 3 p.m uk time and 4 p.m central european time you'll have to work out from that if you're in a different time zone what time that will be stacy has created one batch of her beautiful ceramics for the giro d'italia and they all go on sale tomorrow there's mugs cappuccino sets whiskey sets as well um the link is on our website thecyclingpodcast.com and that will take you through to stacy's etsy store where you can buy the cups uh in the past they have sold out very quickly this year's uh, design i think is beautiful the buffalo takes center stage leading uh, two bicycles which i guess partly represent you and i daniel but also represent the other sort of important trios in richard's life um, so if you would like a cup it's tomorrow 10 a.m u.s eastern time 3 p.m in the uk 4 p.m central european time we'll put all the links in the show notes and there's still time to mention the wine as well. Yes, also on cyclingpodcast.com. That's the place to go to buy this year's Giro wine selection, La Selezione Simpatica. Another nod to Richard. And, um, well, they've also been selling very well. So jump on that if you haven't already. 
Well, that is it. Hans, just the last question, really, for you. Uh, Wilco Kelderman, fifth in the tour. Uh, everyone has talked in the run-up to this Giro about how Simon Yates and Richard Carapaz are probably just ahead of the others in terms of the GC favourites. But how far can Kelderman go? Could he win it? Is he the best of the Dutch hopes? Um, well, if, if you look to, to his last uh, uh, Grand Tours, uh, uh, he was also uh, in 223rd uh, in the Giro, of course. So, uh, And last year he was fifth in the Tour de France. So... If he's okay uh, and he doesn't have f- much pain from uh, from his uh, crash in in Liège, and then, then he's he's a, a competitor for the podium, of course. And yeah, can he win? He could be if he's if he stepped up, he could win. But uh, uh, we we'll have to see if Dumoulin or Kelderman can do it for for the for the Netherlands for the second Giro win in the history. That that would be nice. Well, I guess that's it. We need to go cabbage hunting, Daniel. Cabbage hunting, goulash hunting, um, langosh. As a vegetarian, I would love to have the cabbage tonight. Oh, it's stuffed with meat. <laughs> oh, it really is. <laughs> Sorry it's not for me. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> um, you can get a vegetarian goulash, though. Sometimes it has meat in, sometimes not. I had a version with some meat in it last night. I thought it was very nice. But let's uh, go to Budapest for dinner. Thank you very much, Hans. You're welcome, guys. Good luck. Thank you, Hans. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Daniel. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney.